You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Our scripture reading for today is from Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9 and then 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he who has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. All right, if you'd open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And there are Bibles that are on the chairs there, and it is page 818 in the brown Bibles. And then there's red ones that have a little larger font. It's page 1004 in that Bible, so... You can look at the words for yourselves as we go through it. Uh, a few years ago, we had to, got to take a vacation to the East Coast, and one of the things we got to do was spend a whole day at Bush Gardens. I think I've talked about Bush Gardens before. It's the first time our family ever got to go to one of those big amusement parks. And we went in, and just to the right, it's the very first ride. It's called the Battle of Ire, and it is one of these VR rides. And so you go, you stand in line in the heat for an hour, and then you put on this head thing, and uh, it's, a, it's a VR thing, so then you get strapped into the seat, and the seat moves, and there's a, kind of a screen in there, and, and headphones, and all this stuff, and then we went, and we, we took back a castle from the evil, whatever, the evil wizard, or whatever, and we rode dragons, and it was awesome, and we got to participate in this great adventure uh, to take over this castle, and win the day, and it was, it was awesome, and so we enjoyed that, and the seats move, and you've got all this kind of 3D stuff coming at you, and sounds, and you can look to your right and see who's next to you, Pretty cool ride. The technology is pretty awesome. Uh, partway through the ride, I took my, my, my head bucket off or whatever and looked around, and it's super weird. It's super weird when you really think about it. You know, you look out, and the seats are moving, and people are just sitting there. And uh, without the, the, the vision, without the audio, it's really kind of a strange experience. But once you, uh, so to speak, have eyes to see and ears to hear, the whole thing becomes awesome and dynamic. And that's really what's going on with these parables is that those who have eyes to see and ears to hear uh, get to experience the ride of a lifetime. They get to see Jesus' kingdom and all of the, its glory. But without eyes to see and ears to hear, without sort of the, the ability to see and hear what's really going on, it just looks super strange. 
super strange from the outside. And that really is the refrain in these parables is that he who has eyes to see and ears to hear will see something awesome in Jesus and his kingdom. And those that don't have eyes to see and don't have ears to hear, it's just going to look weird and bizarre and not very compelling at all. And that's really what we have in these kingdom parables. And what we want to do through the summer is just go straight to Jesus and have him explain what the kingdom is. Um, We have so many versions of Christianity out there, so many people that claim to be Christians and Christians should be doing this, and then you have someone who also claims to be a Christian who says the exact opposite. It's just super confusing when you look at the media and the world and even churches and pastors. It can be really confusing. And so let's go to the guy who started it. Uh, If this really is a kingdom, let's go to the king and let's see how he describes it. And in Matthew, we get that. That's what the gospel of Matthew is, is. It's a biography of Jesus. And the whole thesis of it is that Jesus is the king of heaven. He's the king of everything who's come down to the world to bring that kingdom to the world. And he fulfills all of the Old Testament scriptures. And Matthew just is filled with all the ways that Jesus is the king that's promised, the king of everything, the king of heaven. And what does it look like to be in his kingdom? And Matthew's structured around these five speeches. In Matthew 5 through 7, we get the kingdom kingdom values, the kingdom charter, the kingdom constitution, where he just lays out what the kingdom culture is like that he's bringing in chapter 10 he gets he gives the kingdom strategy where he's going to send his people out with a message that it's going to spread not by the sword and conquest but by a message through people who look like they are not powerful at all just totally dependent on him and then we have the kingdom expectations what is it going to be like in these parables in Matthew chapter 13 we have kingdom citizenship in Matthew 18, and then this kingdom judgment, this big, thunderous, all of it discourse at the end, which ultimately, I think, leads to getting him killed. Um, but we, we're going to look at the Matthew 13 parables primarily this summer and get this picture. What is, what is it that we should expect of the kingdom? And that's what we're going to get today. So if you're a Christian and you're sitting here and you're listening to these, I hope that this will help calibrate your expectations of what the kingdom is, what it's going to be about, how it's going to work. Because we've got a lot of voices on what the kingdom is and should, be, should and shouldn't be. Let's go to Jesus and let him right-size our expectations. If you're not a Christian, thank you for being here and thank you for listening to this. And I hope that as you look from the outside in or you're checking this thing out or maybe you're not even sure if you're on the outside or the inside, I hope this is just way clarifying for you to know what it is from Jesus himself and then you can kind of decide what you want to do with it. And so in its context, Matthew... In chapter 11, he's got this kingdom thing. He's got his disciples and this crowd that's following him around. He's done a bunch of teaching. And we see some tension and some confusion that begins to rise in Matthew chapter 11, leading into chapter 13. There are those that are pretty solidly in, the disciples. They're pretty committed to this thing. They've left their businesses. They've left their families. And they're pretty solidly in. They haven't got it figured out, but they're, 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 they're dedicated And then there's those that are pretty solidly out and adversarial, which is like the Pharisees. And they just have this conflict with him constantly. And then there's a whole bunch of people that are in the middle. There's these crowds that are following him that are enjoying some of the things that Jesus is doing, uh, but they're kind of in and out. They're kind of back and forth. Following Jesus is a bit of a hobby at this point. A really interesting one, really fun, but but there's just a squishy middle sort of like, not really sure what to make of Jesus yet. And so then we get to chapter 11, and John the Baptist actually himself begins to wonder, like, this kingdom is not what he thought it would be. He proclaims that Jesus is the Christ, he's Jesus' 
press man, there's the baptism thing, and God himself speaks from heaven and goes, yep, this is the guy, follow him, this is my son, I love him, uh, with him I am well pleased, and it's like, this thing is ready to go. And then before you know it, John the Baptist is in prison, and it's like, I, this kingdom is not quite even what John the Baptist expected. And so he sends some people to Jesus and says, hey, so are you the one or not? I know I heard from heaven, but it's really looking different than I thought. And Jesus sends back a very kind message of going, yes, look at, what, look at what's happening. It's not quite what you would expect, but it is real. And so even John the Baptist is a little wobbly on what exactly Jesus is doing, what kind of kingdom this is going to be. And then in chapter 12, we have the Pharisees that, are under, that have Jesus under tight surveillance. They understand kind of the rising movement that he's starting, and they're threatened by it, and they're, they're just nitpicking him. In, in chapter 12, 1 through 7, he's plucking grain on the Sabbath, and they go, they blow the whistle. That's a foul. You can't do that. And Jesus responds. In, chapter, in verses 22 through 24, they accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan. And Jesus is like, well, that's a really dumb strategy. <laughs> a house divided against itself can't stand. And so then in verse 38, they ask for a sign, but they've just been critiquing him every time he does a sign. And so Jesus politely or not so politely declines to give them signs because they clearly have a wrong agenda. They don't have eyes to see. They don't have ears to hear. They have wrong motives. And they're really just trying to trap Jesus. And then you get to the end of chapter 12 leading into our passage today. And you actually have Jesus' mom and brothers that are like, we need to have a sit down, Jesus. <laughs> we need to sit down and kind of talk about these things. And Jesus goes, these are my, this is my mother. These are my brothers. So there's just great confusion about Jesus. And so Jesus leaves the house and he goes down to the lake. And these huge crowds follow him to such a point that he actually gets into the boat so he can give himself a little bit of space. And there's just this big crowd of everybody. It's just a mix of all kinds of people. All across the spectrum, a lot of confusion about Jesus. Some are in, some are not in, some are trying to trap him, some are just kind of along for the ride, and he steps into this boat, and he decides that he is going to teach. And so let's look at verses 13, 1 through 3. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and a great crowd gathered about him, and he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables. So Jesus changes the terms of engagement. He's been very direct to this point, for the most part. And now he's going to tell stories, stories that have a point, but it's not always obvious what the point is. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So he's going to teach in parables now for a while. And so this is what he says, verse uh, 4. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he stops. And it's like, well, that was weird. Good story, Jesus. <laughs> Just kind of leaves it there. And the disciples pick up on the fact that Jesus has switched his approach. And so they, they call a huddle. They, they huddle up with Jesus, and they ask a question, Matthew 13, verse 10. Then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? So they, they understand, oh, Jesus has switched, switched his strategy. The terms of engagement have changed. And we want to know, like, what's going on, Jesus? We, we need to understand what you're doing here. And so that brings us to this question, what's the deal with parables, right? We looked at that just briefly last week. I want to kind of circle back around to that for a minute. What is the deal with parables? That's the question they're asking. That's the question we should ask as we come to this passage. Why the switch? Why the switch to, a, to parables? 
And we looked at the fact that a parable is a practical story coming basically from real life. It's a believable story. It's fictitious. It's not, a, not an actual account of something happened, but it's a real, relatable, practical story that, um, that people would relate to that does two things. It both reveals and conceals a spiritual truth. So for those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, they'll get it and they'll understand. And those that don't have different motivations, a different heart inclination, they're not going to get it. And so it both reveals and conceals a spiritual truth. One commentator put it this way, Jesus' parables were designed to make one stabbing truth flash out at the man the moment he heard it. So the parables have often one major point and then a whole bunch of applications and implications. So it's communicating primarily one spiritual truth, but then it might have all kinds of applications and implications. That's going to be really important when we get there in a second. Jesus himself explains why he does parables in verse 10. Look at this. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. That's an interesting thing. So he's not giving illustrations simply to, it's not like a sermon illustration that's meant to bring clarity. It's doing two things. It's both revealing and concealing spiritual truth. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So this is a really complex thing that Jesus is doing. He's both revealing and concealing spiritual truth. And he says, this is what Isaiah 6 was talking about. This is, this is sort of what's going on here. But look at verse 16 through 18. So now he's, he's got his disciples huddled up, and they're like, okay, we, we're not tracking with what you're doing here. Explain what you're doing. And he does. He says, I'm both revealing and concealing truth. Some people are going to get it. Some people aren't. And look at verse 16 through 18. This is massively encouraging. Here's what he says. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to hear what you long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. And he's then going to explain it to them. He's going to unpack this parable as this act of grace to kind of tell them and teach them about the kingdom. And, and, and look at like he's saying that so many people long before you looked to the coming of the Messiah, who looked to the coming of the promises. And what I'm about to explain to you, they would have loved to see and hear. They had eyes of faith, they had eyes to see and ears to hear, and they didn't get the opportunity you're getting today. And so this is, this is a huge moment where Jesus is going to go, the kingdom of heaven is going to be explained to those who see and have eyes to, eyes to see, ears to hear. They have been spiritually awakened to the kingdom, and their comprehension of the parables will prove that. A few quick things about this before we jump into the parable, an explanation of the parable itself, is that pay attention in the parables to the first thing Jesus says. That's the point of view. The point of view and the twist come from a particular perspective. And so we often call this the parable of the four soils, but that's not what Jesus calls it. He calls it the parable of the sower. So the point of the parable is the sower and his perspective on things. So we're going to miss the point of the parable if we don't pay attention to the first thing 
The kingdom of heaven is like a sower who sows seed. Oh, that's the point of view. This is not going to ultimately be about the soils primarily, but the sower and what the sower is doing with, his, with the seed. Okay? So keep in mind throughout the summer that the first thing, Jesus is setting the context in that first phrase, and that's the lens that we're to look at the parable. I think we'll miss the main point if we look at it from, uh, from other perspectives. So we want to pay attention to the first thing Jesus says. Secondly, we need to put ourselves in the shoes of the original audience. So you need to think about this from the audience's perspective. They're used to the farming thing. They understand pathways that cut through fields. They understand some of the weeds at the time. They understand Israel's a pretty rocky place. And so as he talks about these, we need to not think 2021 South Dakota. We need to think first century Israel. And so we're going to try to do that along the way. I'm going to try to help you with that as we go. But we have to make sure that we're not, that we're looking through it through the eyes of the original audience and what it would have meant to them before we bring it to us, okay? So that's just another key to interpreting parables rightly. And then lastly, there's usually one primary point. And we need to make sure that we get the primary point right, and then there might be all kinds of applications and implications. But if we miss the main point, we'll twist the parable, we'll abuse it, and we'll end up somewhere we don't want to be. Might be saying things about kingdom that might actually be true, they just weren't what Jesus was intending to say. Does that make sense? So the first thing Jesus says is really important. Viewing it through the eyes of the original audience and then third, looking for the primary point of the parable. It's primarily giving you one main spiritual truth. Do you see it or do you not see it? Okay. So with that said, let's jump into verse 16, uh, um, verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. Again, not the parable of four soils, but the parable of the sower, as Jesus calls it. So then we ask this question, who is the sower? Who is the sower? Actually, let's, let's reread 18 through 23 just to get it fresh in our minds. Let's look at this. Uh, and get his explanation, and then we'll walk through it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, uh, snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. All right, so here's the question. Who is the sower? In its context, it's King Jesus. He is the one so far in the book that has come and been proclaiming the kingdom. John the Baptist did a little bit of proclaiming, but that was really to set Jesus up, really. And really from Matthew 4, 17, where we get these first words of Jesus, he's proclaiming the kingdom. So the, in its context, the sower is primarily Jesus. Jesus is the one who is going out and speaking with this message with authority. And even in Matthew chapter 10, when he sends out his disciples to go and proclaim this message, he still says things like this. For it is not you who speak, Matthew 10, 20, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So even when he equips his disciples to go and speak the message of the kingdom, he says, I, it's still going to be God speaking through you. So it's still God speaking. It's him, it's, it's the king who is speaking, even when the disciples are speaking of Jesus. It's still Jesus. Jesus is sowing through the words of his followers. And here in its context, Jesus is doing a lot of the sowing himself. Matthew 10, 27 also, when he sent them out to go on this mission trip, 
He says, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And then also in that same speech, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Bottom line, Jesus is the sower. He is the proclaimer of the kingdom. It is him who is the king. It is him who is doing the sowing. So we need to think of this as this this is a parable about Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a sower. It's like Jesus who has a whole big bag of seed that he's purchased, and he's just scattering it everywhere with great joy. He's not being stingy with it. He's spreading it everywhere. And so that brings us to another question. What is the seed? Verse 19 tells us that the seed is the word of the kingdom, or we often call it the gospel, the good news. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe the gospel. So the seed is the gospel message. It's the word of the kingdom. It's the announcement. It's news. It's not a bunch of, you have to do a bunch of things to get into the kingdom. It's news that the king has arrived, and if you'll bow the knee to him, you can be part of his kingdom. He has come. And what's amazing about the seed, in fact, I I grabbed a sunflower seed because this is what I could find. But if you think about a seed for a moment, here's one kind of in its shell, like you can just barely see it, and then one outside of its shell. A seed is amazing because within a seed is the potential of a whole other plant, right? Like there's so much, there's the DNA of a sunflower in here. Everything you need for a whole other sunflower plant is in here. And a potential for hundreds or thousands more seeds, right? This little tiny DNA packet contains in this small little package the potential for thousands or millions more sunflowers and more seeds, right? And he's saying the gospel's like that. This little This little declaration of truth is so powerful because the king is so powerful that this little seed has unlimited potential, right? There is unlimited potential. Given enough time, this seed could produce an unlimited number of sunflowers and seeds, right? All in this little seed. It's pretty amazing when you think about a seed and Jesus is like, my kingdom's like that. It looks really tiny. It looks very vulnerable and very weak, but packed within this is everything you need for the kingdom to grow and to spread. And so Jesus is spreading this, un- that's why he's so generous with the seed, is that it's got so much potential packed in this little seed if it just finds good soil. And so the seed is the DNA of the kingdom in, in a little package, right? The entire power of the kingdom can be contained in this little seed. And what's the point of scattering seeds? So that you'll get a harvest, Right? The point of scattering seeds, the sower is not just doing it for fun, although it appears that he's having great fun. But the point of scattering seeds is that you want plants that produce more seeds, right? That's what a sower is doing. A sower is not just doing this for fun, but he's doing it because he wants a return. And that's a really important thing is that he wants this seed to spread, to grow, to produce more seeds. The kingdom is, so he's spreading the seed because he wants the kingdom to grow. So we have this gospel message in various forms. Um, Jesus often shares the message of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, the gospel message in different ways. The first time we have it in the book of Matthew is Matthew 4.17 when he says, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's really the seed that Jesus is scattering. The shortest version of it is Matthew 9.9 with Matthew when he says, Come follow me. Right? It's a, it's a folly. There's a whole lot more to it, but that's at the essence of what the king and his kingdom is going to be about. It's about following Jesus, right? And then you have a really expansive version of the gospel message in Matthew 5 through 17. So Jesus has 
multiple ways of being able to communicate this message. Uh, but at its essence, it's about Jesus and what he's done to, to rescue us, to bring us, those that are outside the kingdom, into his kingdom. So the seed is only good if it's spread. Likewise, the word of the kingdom and the gospel is news to be communicated, verbalized, proclaimed, and responded to. Each articulation, listen to this, each articulation of the gospel has unlimited potential. Every time you share the gospel with someone, Jesus is speaking through you, there is unlimited potential, kingdom potential, which is, which is why it's such a joy to be able to share about the message of the king, is that every seed that is spread, that the sower spreads through us, has infinite and eternal potential, which is why we can share it so freely. So, bottom line, Jesus is the sower who is proclaiming the basic message of the kingdom. He's scattering seeds, and they're landing absolutely everywhere. So then that raises the question, why doesn't it seem to work every time? If the king is so good, and the seed is so powerful, why is it that we're getting the responses we're getting? Why is it that the Pharisees aren't responding? Why is it that people seem to walk away from Jesus? Why aren't people getting it? Which then brings us into the variable. There's not an issue with the sower, and there's not an issue with the seeds. The variable is the soil that it lands on. So then what are the soils? And the soils are four basic human heart responses. So this message is heard by people. It lands on their hearts. What kind of response does the kingdom get? Jesus is the primary proclaimer of the gospel, the word of the kingdom. The sower doesn't change. There's nothing wrong with the sower. With joy, he's spreading it everywhere. The seed never changes. It has the power. Every single one of those gospel seeds has unlimited potential. The variable is the soil, the human heart that the message lands on. And let's take each of these soils and responses one at a time. Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So think of a sidewalk, a path, a well-worn path through a field. And seed falls on it. You know what would happen. You understand botany well enough to know that that's not probably going to accomplish much. And that was the point. The kings, this is the pathway soil where there's just no response. There's just no reception of the word of the kingdom. The kingdom's message is proclaimed. And hearing does happen on a surface level. At least the words are heard. But there's not understanding, it says. Here's the word. So there is proclaiming. There is hearing. But there's not understanding, and so it doesn't penetrate into the heart. Since the hard surface doesn't receive it, then there's some satanic robbery that occurs. It says the evil one comes and snatches it away. So it's only given a limited opportunity to even make any difference. The two descriptive words he uses is misunderstanding and the evil one. So there is a spiritual dynamic to this, a spiritual warfare dynamic to this, and there's this misunderstanding. So the kingdom is heard. But it's not received, it's not understood by the heart. So what would be an example of this in its context? I think Jesus is trying to go, yeah, I'm going to proclaim the gospel. And this kingdom, this kingdom message, these seeds are going to fall on the path and nothing's going to happen. They're going to disappear. I think an example of this is just the Pharisees. They're hearing the message of Jesus and it's having no effect on them at all. And Jesus says, yeah, that, that's what you should expect. There will be some who will hear the message of the kingdom. And they're just not going to receive it. They're just not going to. Don't be surprised by that. Then, in verses 20 and 21, he says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. 
Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So this is, this is what he says. He says, the king's message is proclaimed. The seed lands on their heart. The message is proclaimed. The word of the kingdom is presented to them. Hearing happens in an immediate joyful reception. Someone responds immediately and going, I love this. I want to be in on this. But there's a shallowness to this soil. So this is the idea that the soil is not very deep, that there's rocks under the soil. You maybe wouldn't be able to see them, but the soil is just not very deep. Since it's a hard, sur- or a, uh, there's nothing really, nothing really lasts there long. This is, this, is, this is the shallow response. This is the rocky soil. This is the person who doesn't really stick with anything for very long. Nothing grows well here. Things pop up quickly and die quickly. So this is the one who's just quick in, quick out. And there's two reasons. It gives two descriptive words here, suffering and persecution. It talks about him not having enough root. And then the sun, world experiences, persecution comes, and it's just the seed doesn't last. It immediately falls away. So, so this is, you know, suffering would be things that you couldn't see coming. I mean, all of us have different examples. If we were just share examples of suffering and how that has tested the words of Jesus, the promises of the kingdom, we can understand that. And persecution, the price that's paid for being a Christian, those two things eventually show that the seed did not find deep soil because suffering and persecution, hardship, make following Jesus just not worth it anymore. Example of this is Matthew 8, when Jesus talks to uh, some people who are really excited about following him, and he says things like, hey, I have nowhere to lay my head. Like, I sleep, I don't have shelter. So if you follow me, I can't promise that you'll have shelter. And another person comes up to him and says, uh, let me go bury my dead father, and then come follow you. And Jesus goes, you're going to have to let the dead bury their own dead. Come follow me. So this cost, this suffering, oh, my family would really, really be disappointed in me. There would be a cost to this that I don't think that I want to pay. And so we can empathize a little bit with those here because suffering and persecution does make it hard. And it shows that this, there isn't a real root there. So that's one response. One is the pathway soil. It's just a hard no from the get-go. There's the rocky soil. It just doesn't have a lot of depth. Nothing really grows well there. Things pop up quickly, but nothing lasts very long there or is very fruitful. Which then brings us to the thorny soil in Matthew 13, 22. For what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So this is the choked response. It falls on hearts. The king's message is proclaimed. Hearing happens. Reception of it happens. The problem is different than the rocky soil. Nothing really grows well in the rocky soil. The problem with the thorny soil is that everything grows well there. There's no focus. There's no everything. Like, they're in on everything. Everything has root there. There's no singleness of heart. There's no devotion. There's no um, singular focus, I guess you could say. So this is different than the rocky soil. Nothing grows well there. The thorny soil, everything grows well. And there's just so much that the gospel has to compete with in their hearts. There's so many affections and so many loves and so many concerns. And there's two descriptive words, and I changed them a little bit just to give you a perspective here. You can see them in the the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And I I would consolidate those two or just explain those as world issues and prosperity. So, So one, the cares of the world, 
which is concerns about the outside culture. You're, there's a concern, not a singleness of concern about the kingdom, but a concern competing with the concerns of the kingdom about the concerns of the world. Now, this could go a couple different directions because you could actually interpret this as anxiety about the world system. It's not just that you have worldly values and you're craving what the world craves. It's also could be translated, and some good translations have called it, anxiety about the world's system. So there's more than one kind of weed here. There's the weed that goes, I love what the world loves, and that chokes out. There's also, I'm so concerned about the world that it has all of my interest. I'm so worried about the world's system. I'm so wor- worried about what the world's doing. And I'm frustrated, I'm scared, I'm, ang- I'm anxious about it in such a way that that can choke the seed as well. I think it can mean both. Is that an overfixation on how bad the world is is just as so much a, of, of a weed as wanting to be approved by it, wanting to have the world's systems. So it's very clever what Jesus is doing here is that it's not just those who are buying into the world system, but those that want to fight it to the extent that they miss what the kingdom's about, right? You can be choked out in more than one way. So this concern about the outside culture, this anxiety about the world system can take away resources from the fruitfulness of the seed. See what it's saying? There's so much resources, so much heart affection, so much attention given to world affairs that there isn't enough for Jesus' kingdom. And it doesn't get the nutrients to really produce the fruit that the seed can and is intended to produce. The second thing is, so world issues, whether you're buying into them or whether you're really concerned about them, they can choke out the resources of your heart for kingdom things. But also it talks about the deceitfulness of riches. And what comes with the deceitfulness of riches? Just think about this. This is more than just, I want to be wealthy. But what comes with riches? Security? Safety? Identity? This is not just someone who is really greedy, but this is someone who's just really concerned about being safe, who's just really concerned about their own well-being. And some of that might even be good, but it's deceitful. As if your economy, your job, your borders, or whatever is what really keeps you safe. Right? This concern about safety and prosperity is not necessarily bad in and of itself, but if it gets all the resources of our heart, the kingdom won't produce what it's meant to produce. Right? So so this one's a tricky one. Because these things, these weeds can look, that's the thing with weeds, is they can look just like the real plant, right? And they take up so much of the heart's resources, so much of the soul's resources, and here's what the conclusion that Jesus says, it proves unfruitful. It proves unfruitful because there's so much growing in there. Yeah, the kingdom, there was like a little spot for that, but then there was a whole lot of other things that they were spending their time and their energy and their money. They were worried and anxious They were spending so much of themselves to try to be safe and prosperous and secure. They were trying to be right on all these different issues, and there just was nothing left for the kingdom. So this is different than the rocky soil. The rocky soil, things pop up and die very quickly. This is one who there's so much competing. There's so much anxiety. There's so much concern about prosperity and security. And the the final verdict there is that it proves unfruitful. The word of the kingdom isn't multiplied 
it ultimately ends up just being a dead plant. And here's some examples of that is the rich young ruler in Matthew 18. Jesus comes to him. The man seems very generous. This would be like the guy you would want on your team. He's rich. He's got influence. Jesus should be bending over backwards to get this guy on the team. This is LeBron James. Like, man, we're going to win if we get this guy on the team. And Jesus questions him. goes, do you keep the law? Do you do these things? You know, do all these, do you check the boxes? And then he comes down. He's like, one thing. Sell all you have and come follow me. And the man walks away sorrowful because he had great wealth. Why is that? I assume that he wanted good things. You know, he's coming because he wants to be godly. He wants to be in the kingdom, right? This is not someone who's just wicked and evil in all these ways that's doing all these awful things. This is a good man. This is a man we would respect. This is a man that maybe we would hire to be our pastor, right? But he's concerned about other things than the kingdom. And when he's challenged by Jesus on it, in the end, he wants the weed, not the seed. When it comes right down to it, when he's exposed, he walks away sad, at least in the moment. We don't know for sure exactly what happens later, hopefully. Another one would be Judas. Judas is a great example of this. Man, he gets to be in on this whole thing. But then he gets impatient with Jesus. He's, he decides he's going to sell Jesus out. I actually think that maybe in part, Judas is doing that to try to get this kingdom thing rolling a little bit. Like, let's bring this up. Then Jesus will all of a sudden pull off his superpowers to put on the cape and then we'll off we go he's trying to make the kingdom happen in other ways now i don't know for sure judas may have multiple motives in his heart but in the end he's willing to sell it out he's willing to sell it out for something else because he is anxious he's deceived by wealth and in the end proves unfruitful which then brings us to the fourth soil the good soil so jesus says the king the sower is going to sow seed everywhere And it's going to have a variety of responses. That's not because there's a problem with the sower. It's not because there's a problem with the seed. It's the variable is the human heart. And so you should just expect what you're seeing. And that's what the disciples are seeing. They're seeing seeing the seed fall on different soils. They're seeing these different responses. In Matthew 13, 23, For what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So here we have four things happen. There's hearing, there's understanding. So so it's not the the soil, the the pathway soil where it just so so we've gotten to understanding, and then it bears fruit and yields. This soil is different. It's soft, unlike the pathway soil. So it can penetrate into the heart. It's deep. There's, there's a lot of room for this to grow. There's a, there's a, this, is, this is someone who's coming to receive the word thoughtfully. They're not doing it in a shallow, impulsive, emotional way. They're receiving it. This soil has depth to it. And then we see that this is soil that's been cleared. There's a singleness of heart to this. So in contrast to the other soil, we see a soft, deep, cleared heart that's receiving this seed with great intentionality with great care it produ- it reproduces more seed for spreading the sower gets what he wants from the good soil right he's spreading the seed because he wants it to grow he wants it to grow in these different places so that he can have a return we're going to have other parables that talk about jesus investing and wanting a return from what he's invested in 
that's a little bit here. We have a little bit of that here is that the seed is now beginning to multiply. The kingdom is taking root here. It's not all the same return. Look, some return a hundredfold, some 60, another 30. The sower doesn't care. He doesn't care that some are more gifted when it comes to kingdom stuff than others. Some of us have more opportunities than others. Some of us have different gifts. He doesn't, he's not measuring that. The sower just wants to see some fruitfulness of any kind. And this good soil produces a return. The two descriptive words here is that they understand and they bear fruit. The seed begins to reach some of its potential, right? Finds good soil and and the potential of all the other seeds and plants that are in this begin to see what potential this seed actually has because of the heart that it lands upon. And here's an example is just the disciples. I think he says to them, your eyes see and your ears hear. And there is going to be a return, which is why I'm explaining the parable to you, right? I'm explaining this parable because I intend to get a return from you. And he will. Now, some will die very quickly like James. And some, like John, will live probably into their 90s. It's not going to be the same return for everybody, but he's not concerned about that. You're the good soil. I am planting this seed in your hearts and it will multiply and it will multiply through you and I will continue to spread the seed through you. The gospel message will continue to go before you and just know that it's going to land on all kinds of different hearts. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. And that's what you see in the book of Acts is they take this to heart. They go, we're just going to proclaim the gospel everywhere. And some places, like Lydia's heart, it's going to explode and it's going to produce all this. And then there's going to be other times when it's like, they get, they get killed. They get attacked. And everything in between. So, what does Jesus want us to do with this parable? I think two things. One is calibrate our expectations. As we come to the kingdom, it's not going to look like the world's kingdom. It's not going to come and dominate in the way that we see worldly kingdoms dominate. It's just got a different strategy. It's got a different aim. It's got a different goal. It's got a different strategy. So he wants his disciples, first and foremost, to understand this is what the kingdom is. This is how the kingdom goes. This is going exactly according to plan. Jesus didn't get down there and all of a sudden like, ah, the Pharisees are not cooperating. Plan B. No, this was plan A. And you're just now beginning to see what this is like. You don't know what kind of soil it is until the seed lands on it. And that's what's surprising is you would expect the chief priests and the Pharisees to go, the Messiah comes, the one that's promised. Shouldn't the people that have their Bibles memorized be the ones that are most in? And they're not. That's weird. You don't know until the seed lands on the heart what kind of soil it is. And then you have prostitutes and tax collectors that are just all in and begin to tell everybody. And you're like, well, I didn't expect that to be good soil. And she's like, yeah, that's the point. You don't always know what the soil will be until the seed lands on it. And so that's why you spread the seed everywhere, right? Spread the seed everywhere. And this would have been so clear if you're just thinking about the disciples and you're thinking, oh, overthrow of Rome, make Israel awesome, uh, you know, the seed of David. Like you're trying to, you're thinking through worldly kingdom stuff and then Jesus goes, oh, we're not doing that. This is more like farming than it is like conquest. Oh, well, that totally changes how I'm evaluating the progress of the kingdom, right? I'm not evaluating it according to worldly standards towards, because this is its own kingdom. So here's the deal. That's true for us too. It doesn't look like the kingdom's going to win. And the sower's just fine with that. Just keep that in mind. So let's take the eyes of the, 
the disciples, and let's just apply that same principle to ourselves, is that as the kingdom goes forward, it's not going to look like it's winning. It's going to be surprising. It's not always going to be universally accepted. But here's what we need to know as a church. This is not because there's a flaw in Jesus. Okay? So if we're here as a church and we're trying to do redemptive things and we're trying to see people come into the kingdom and it's just not happening like we thought, there will be a temptation for us to change Jesus. There will be a temptation to change the message. There's nothing wrong with the seed. Sometimes it finds good soil. Sometimes it doesn't. That happened to Jesus. So we right-size our expectations. This temptation to find a better Jesus or to try to modify or caricature Jesus in such a way that makes him more appealing, that maybe he'll grow faster. We could start spreading weed seeds if we wanted. Those grow all over the place. We're not going to change that. The message is fine. The kingdom is fine. The the seed is fine. There's going to be a variety of responses. So let's adjust our expectations, church. And let's keep our eyes on the sower and the seed and have confidence that it will produce what he wants it to produce. That's what Isaiah 55 says. My word will not return empty. It will do what I intend for it to do. And I I love, this is George Whitfield. He was a guy who preached to thousands, tens of thousands at a time during the first great awakening in the 1700s. And he was preaching in England and he was preaching in, um, in the United States and the colonies at the time. And people would gather, and there was this massive response. And someone asked him one time, after he'd preached this massive event, tens of thousands of people, he was asked, how many people were saved at the meetings this week? And he said, we'll see in a few years. Because you don't always know right away, right? There's a variety of responses, and we'll see. These things take time. And I think that's what Jesus is wanting his disciples. Yes, some are going to be really in, and it's going to prove in the end, maybe they weren't as in as we thought. And others, they're just in on everything. So yeah, of course they're in on this for now until they get concerned about something else and then they're going to add that in and it's going to choke it out. And then there's going to be some that are going to have singleness of heart and we're going to see this thing flourish for their lifetime. In Luke 10, after they've gone out on their mission trip and they come back and they're rejoicing, um, they say, we saw, we cast out demons, we healed people, we saw people respond well to the kingdom. They're just elated because this mission trip that Jesus sent them on was so successful. And Jesus was encouraging them, saying, yes, I saw Satan fall like lightning, and this is so amazing, and you guys were awesome. And he's just really encouraging them. Yes, I'm really grateful for your faithfulness. But then he says this, Luke 10, 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits, meaning the demons, are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So the point of this parable is not so much to worry about all the different responses. It's what an awesome sower. What incredible seed. And I want to see it multiply. Right? That's the disposition, I think, of this parable. Secondly, I think it's to calibrate our... uh, First is to calibrate our expectations of what the kingdom is going to be like. We should just expect that as we continue as a church that there's nothing wrong with the sower, there's nothing wrong with the seed, it's going to have different responses. We're going to see that in our church, and it's going to surprise us at times. And that's okay. We continue to follow the king. Secondly, come to a conclusion. Do you see and do you hear? 
the seed of the gospel has been cast onto your heart this morning. Jesus Christ has come to save sinners, to bring people into his kingdom. He is the God-man. He's lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for sin. He rose again from the dead. He is the king of everything. And if you'll receive this little gospel seed of who Jesus is and what he's done, the kingdom will begin to grow in your heart. And so we'll see. Come to a conclusion today. Do you see this kingdom? Do you want this king? If you do, receive him. Receive him. Bow the knee to him. Come to him and follow him. Do you understand? What fears do you have about fully embracing the king and kingdom? What anxieties keep you from trusting in him? What lies stand between you and the truth? I would love to help you with those kinds of things. I can't change the soil. None of us can change the soil. We can't even change the soil of our own hearts. I don't think there's anything in here about the changing of the soils, right? But I would love to help you understand the gospel and for it to find your heart. What is happening? What are your questions? What are your reservations? And I just want to guarantee you that we, as long as the Lord wills, will be keep scattering seed on all the soils right here. The sower is going to continue to sow seed through this church. And you never know when God might change the soil. I love this story. I'll close with this. Luke Short was a farmer in New England in the 1700s. And in his 100th year of life, he was in exceptional vigor and had not yet sought peace with God. One day, as he was sitting in his field, reflecting on his long life, he recalled a sermon that he heard in England as a boy before he sailed to America. He heard the preaching of a man named John Flavel. And the horror of dying apart from God was impressed on him in that moment that the words that he heard long ago, he was converted to Christ 85 years after hearing the sermon from John Flavel. It was a pathway soil for 85 years, and God let that seed just sit there, protected it from being stolen. And then, when Luke Short was 100 plus years old, God changed the soil it received, and it bore fruit. And on his tombstone is read this He lies a babe in grace, aged three years old, but who died according to nature at age 106. You just never know. The sower keeps sowing seed. He throws it everywhere with joy. It's going to have a variety of responses. Don't worry about that because God may change the soil. We don't know what the soil is until the seed hits it. And sometimes it has to hit it 150 times before. Isn't that some of your stories? The gospel had to come so many times. And you didn't change your heart. You didn't pull the weeds or the rocks out. God changed it, right? So don't look at this parable and think, how can I change my heart? Just look at the sower, consider the seed, and God will reveal the heart. God will change the heart. Have great confidence, friends, that the kingdom is doing fine. Let's keep scattering seed. It will return what he wants it to return. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this parable. And God, thank you for the ways that it helps us have an expectation of your kingdom that's right-sized. It's not going to look like we thought. It's not going to dominate in the way that other kingdoms dominate. So, Lord, help us not to calculate in worldly terms. Help us to keep our eyes on the sower. Help us to have confidence in the seed. And help us not to be rattled when there's a variety of responses. And, God, I do pray that while this point is, the point of this parable is not necessarily 
um, the condition of our hearts uh, first and foremost, but uh, an explanation of what the kingdom's about. I do pray, God, I do pray that in light of this parable that there would be good soil here and that you would transform hearts to receive your word and that we would see a variety of fruitfulness in the lives of people here. God, I pray for those that maybe are skeptical, maybe have been hurt by the church, maybe are uh, just don't buy this. God, I pray that, uh, that this, would be, this message would be helpful. And I do pray, God, that maybe in time through thinking through this and talking with someone, uh, that clarity would come. And so, God, we do pray that whatever soils that the seed is landing on in this moment, God, that you would be glorified and you would be pleased and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, we did, for the first year of our existence as a church, do a little bit of Q&A. So we just want to take a few minutes. We won't take a long time on this, but I want us to always be a church where questions are welcome. And so uh, I know in a group like this, it's not easy to ask a question publicly, but we just want you to know that you can hear, and I think Dylan's here to help us. I think he thought up a couple questions. I don't know if there's anybody that has asked me more questions over the years than Dylan has. And so I knew that he would be well-qualified to ask some questions. So I think you maybe have one or two, and then we'll open that up. And um, yeah, we won't take a real long time on this, but I do want to at least give you a chance to ask if there's something that wasn't clear, or there's something you'd like just another kind of sentence or two response to. We just want to always be um, open to questions uh, in that way. So did you have a question? I do. Hi, my name is Dylan. I do worship here. Just as a quick introduction. And I had a really hard time today finding some questions, but I have some. Okay. <laughs> And uh, I just, I think that was really well said, um, how it's not, it's not Christ that's the problem. It's not the kingdom that's the problem. It's the, the soil. And so when you present it the way that you did, it makes it hard to come up with a question. But I wanted to say, uh, my first question is, what would, what would your advice be to somebody that says, man, I feel like, I'm saved, but I don't see any fruit yet. What do I, is there something wrong? With, what am I doing? Am I wanted, you know, not to say the point of the parable isn't, you know, what soil you are, but it's the, the sower. But what advice would you give to somebody that had that question? Yeah, is discontented with the fruitfulness Discontented, in their heart? yes, feeling like they don't see any fruit in their I, life. I actually think that's a good place to start um, because that is a desire for the kingdom to grow. It's a desire for the kingdom, and, man, that's... Um, that's first and foremost, because that's, that's what it is. It's about the heart response, not about the acts they do, you know? The soil is pretty passive in this story, right? It's just the seed lands on it, and, and, and there is a variety of fruitfulness. There's probably more fruit in that person's life than they realize, and that's why it's wonderful to be a part of a church, is because we grow very slowly, and sometimes other people can see the good work, the kingdom work that's happening in your heart in ways that you can't which is why it's really lovely to be part of a church and for us to be quick with encouragement of going, man, I really do see fruitfulness. Thanks for the way you serve. Thanks for the way you encourage. Thanks for the way that you treat your wife and your kids. Thanks for the ways that you set up chairs. I bet there's more fruitfulness than they realize. They just need a brother or sister to point it out. And that inclination of the heart is exactly what the fourth soil is all about. I want a singleness of heart before God. I want it to be deep. I want it to produce fruit. I just don't think Jesus leaves that un, unused. But it is slow. Fruitfulness is slow. Like some, an oak tree takes a long time, right? And so God may have a longer timeline than you think, and you might be more fruitful than you think. And being part of embedded in a Christian community where people will tell you the truth about things, you might find and be encouraged that you're more fruitful than you thought. So that would be my off-the-cuff response. So, Okay, I think 
Well said, I guess. <laughs> it's a great question. And I think most of us feel that way, don't we? Mm-hmm. I'm not near as fruitful as I'd like to be. But did you have another one? I, know, I do. I know Gary has one. So I have one more. So take that. Um, my question would be, if somebody came to you with the question, Josh, I keep trying to share the gospel with someone over and over and over. It might be years at this point. Is, do, I, do I keep, is it worth my time to continue to try to share that? I mean, I keep cutting out time for this person every week, mm-hmm. and they just blatantly don't accept the gospel. Is it worth it at this point for me to keep sharing the gospel with this person? Answer is yes, right? Answer is yes, and that was part of why I wanted to share the uh, story of Luke Short is that just because that there has, there has been less than a desirable or fruitful response to the gospel doesn't mean the story's over. And all of us, most of us, have that story, right? Like, it took a while, and God had to change the soil. So we believe in a big God who can change the hearts of people, and we believe in people who are very limited and small, who, who don't even know their own hearts well enough to change them, right? Like, if I were to try to pull the weeds out of my own, I wouldn't even know where to start. Like, I could come up with a couple, but there would be weeds that I don't even know about. And there would be stones that I don't know about. So the idea that we have to sort of fix ourselves up to come to Jesus is nonsense, right? So I would say just keep scattering that seed and find maybe different ways to do it. Jesus found, Jesus didn't have just one like, this is his one go-to sentence. This is his closing sentence. He came at every person with wisdom and grace and thoughtfulness. And you almost never have him sharing the good news the same way twice, you know? And so I think being led by the Spirit, being led by the example of Jesus, there's more than one way to scatter the seed. Now, the, the, the content of the seed doesn't change. I'm not saying that. But there is different ways to spread it, I think. So, yeah. So, we're open to questions. Gary, did you have a question? Yeah. So my I'll, just re- I'll just repeat the question. It's just that has the way that we have been trained to share about Jesus at times caused us to be impatient and maybe have kind of a wrong view of things? Is that a good way to say it? I th- I, th- I think so. I think so. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, and God can save in a moment. So I, I'm not necessarily wanting to just throw that off entirely, because there is lots of evidence in Scripture where someone comes up and they're converted on the spot. But I also think that, I think based on this parable, and I think sometimes time will tell. Sometimes it takes more than one time. And I think especially when we in a place where we've grown up where Christianity is common, and there's a lot of like different versions of it and even like kind of counterfeits i think we should it's going to take time to sort some of that out because there's a lot of things that we think are christianity that aren't and there's a lot of things that claim to be christianity and they aren't so i i do think that we have to take into account that there are some factors to think but i I think you're right i think sometimes yeah we go they had three minutes to respond i'm done with them and it's like well yeah how many of us came to christ like that like thankfully there was someone who was patient and prayed for us and continue to share it, and shared it in different ways. Yeah, so I hope that answers your question, but yeah. Maybe one more, two more. Yeah, Kenyon. Has God given us any tools to break up the fallow ground of, of our hearts and of other people? Has, has God, yeah, you want to hear Yeah, sure. Uh, has God given us any tools to uh, break up the ground, the fallow ground, the rocks, or unweed things? Is that kind of along the, yeah. Um, yes, I would I would say so. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily the intention of this parable. I think the intention of this parable is this is what you can expect from the kingdom. There are going to be other parables, I think, that talk about and other places in Scripture that we can go to 
that would do that. So yeah, certainly and we can look at the example of Jesus when he asks a well-timed question. And at times he's more direct, sometimes he's more indirect. You know, sometimes, yeah, we see, I think, a variety as we look at Scripture as a whole. In terms of from this parable, I don't think that he's, he's just, I think, kind of basically saying this is what to expect. But yeah, so I think it's yes, but I think we'd have to go to other Scriptures to kind of find more detail on that. So yeah, right there in the back. One question in the back. Hey, yep, that is a great question, and I love the heart behind that question. Is I just really want my friend or my family member to receive the kingdom, right? I really want that for them. And that is a tough spot to be sometimes when you care about someone's soul more than they do. You know, like, I really want you to get this because I know how wonderful it is. I want you to put the headset on and see the 3D, right? I want you to have eyes to see, ears to hear. I don't know that we can change that. I think we just continue to give them the truth. And I, I, there's no way for us to make someone receive the kingdom. We can't make someone do that. So I do think that there's wisdom in trying to find the best ways to, to get a hearing for it. But I don't think that we can change the soil. So I think we have to just kind of keep being faithful. And, we have, and that's why we pray. That's why we pray is because God can change a heart, right? This Luke Short, this old guy, took him 85 years before that seed found good soil, right? God had to change his heart. So was it a waste? It wasn't a waste, was it? Yeah. So I think we should have that same hopeful expectation. So great question. I love that you asked that. Thank you. Last yes, question. Sonia, last one, last and then one. we'll close out. Yeah. There are, are there things that we can do to make our heart more receptive? Is that fair? I, yes, and I think there's other parts of Scripture that call us to repent of sin, even specific sins. I think there are calls to be faithful in suffering, Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus gives an assessment to his churches and he gives them a promise like, to the one who perseveres, to the one who endures, don't be shallow, hang in there, pay the price, pull the weeds. Yes, it's just not what Jesus is saying in this parable, right? So, I, so this is one of those where it's like this, each parable has one main point and there might be a ton of different applications. So I think you're saying a true thing. I just think that you have to have other scriptures that say that. Whereas Jesus is going, he's got his disciples huddled up. They've just experienced all this confusion, these crowds. The kingdom is going to be like this. And so now you have the right expectation. He's going to do other teachings to address that. So, so yes, you're right. It's just from this parable, we don't want to add that into the main point. We want to get the main point first. So, but ab- absolutely, absolutely, I do think that we have a responsibility for the condition of our hearts. And we should pull the weeds. We should pray for depth. We should not want Satan to steal it. And, you know, that sometimes lunch after church can be a great indication of that, of just going like, man, we want to talk about Jesus and the gospel we want to take, you know. So I think the seed falling on the soil itself reveals somewhat what the soil is. But, yeah, I think you're right. I just don't know that it's all here in this passage on that front. So, so we'll let God have the final word from Philippians 2, 11, and 9 through 11. Therefore, God has exalted him, meaning Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.